We'll hear argument next in Ayotte versus Planned Parenthood of Northern New England. General Ayotte. Mr. Chief Justice, and may it please the Court. The Court of Appeals struck down New Hampshire's Parental Notification Act on its face based upon a potential application of the act that even respondents concede may only arise in the smallest fraction of cases. In doing so, the act was rendered ineffective in the overwhelming number of applications where it is unquestionably constitutional, and state officials were denied the opportunity to imply, apply and enforce New Hampshire's act within constitutional limits. New Hampshire's act can be applied in a manner to protect a minor's health if the rare case arises where a medical emergency occurs that requires an immediate abortion. In that rare case, if it does arise, where an abortion has to be performed immediately and the child does not want to notify a parent, there is a judicial bypass mechanism available which requires New Hampshire courts to act promptly and without delay and in the best interests of the minor. Well, may, may I interrupt you at this point? Because there's one thing that I'm not sure that I understand about your position. And one way of reading your brief takes you a step beyond uh, what you have just said. So I, I'd, I'd like to get clear on this. Uh, and I understood your, your argument to be that given the safeguards, such as judicial override, there simply was no, re- there was no need to, uh, to, to read the health exception in, that, in fact, it was taken care of. Uh, any, any of the issues that might be raised uh, in, in, um, in arguing for the need for a health exception, in fact, were addressed by the statute. Uh, the, the, the point at which I'm not clear on your position uh, is, uh, occurs uh, in what you said on page 11 of your yellow brief, if you could get that out. Have you got the, the carryover paragraph uh, on 11? Uh, you, you go through the, the, uh, uh, the kind of a worst-case analysis, and you say, well, <clears throat> You know, assuming that all of the safeguards somehow do not work. Finally, in the unlikely event that a parent refuses to waive the 48-hour waiting period and so on, um, a doctor who performs an emergency abortion under such circumstances would not be subject to either criminal prosecution or civil liability because his or her conduct would not only be constitutionally protected, but would be independently justifiable, and then you cite the competing harms. What do you mean when you say it would be constitutionally protected? I read that uh, as suggesting uh, that there was indeed a constitutional requirement for some kind of a, um, a, a health exception, but that may not be what you meant. What do you mean by constitutionally protected? What are you getting at? Uh, Justice Souter, in that instance, it, we did not uh, say that it was an independent constitutional requirement that there be a health exception, but certainly reading these cor- this Court's cases, we should apply our act in a manner to protect if that rare case arises where an emergency abortion um, would come forward. And if a physician were prosecuted under those circumstances, we believe not only would he have a statutory ability to say this uh, prosecution is inappropriate given our law, 
But also, uh, given those rare circumstances, we do not think that he, under the Constitution, may be prosecuted. And if he said, I may not be prosecuted under the Constitution because, what follows because, in your view? I may not because New Hampshire's Act may not be applied in a manner to ensure that if a minor in that rare circumstance needs an immediate abortion, that she receives that immediate medical care in those circumstances. Well, doesn't that mean because there is a required health exception? I mean, isn't that what you're saying? Justice Souter, uh, not that there is a, an express requirement of a health exception, but that the law cannot be implied in a manner to infringe on the minor's health if that rare emergency case arises. Well, your first answer to Justice Souter was that the physician would say he can't be prosecuted under our law. Do you mean this act that we're looking at here? Or, or do you mean the law generally, including constitutional protections that this Court has, has proclaimed? Justice Kennedy, in that limited circumstance, we do not believe that the physician would be, would be prosecuted under our Parental Notification Act, given that there is a mechanism Because of, of the text of the Act or because of some policy that the Attorney General would, would follow in, in order to just to decline to prosecute? We want to know what this Act says in the instance posed by Justice Souter. Justice Kennedy, uh, with respect to the act itself, assuming it were a life, excuse me, a a health emergency short of a life-threatening emergency where a minor did not want to notify her parents, and assuming those situations came forward and someone was unable to reach a judge, the act itself provides a mechanism in it that anticipates providing a judge where necessary, and so that would be and the ability of a minor in those circumstances to seek a judge. But if for some reason all of those situations came together and the minor could not seek a judicial bypass in those instances, there is an existing provision of New Hampshire law, our competing harms defense, that we believe protects the physician in those circumstances. Let's imagine a real circumstance. A 15-year-old walks in at 2 in the morning on Saturday into the emergency room, and the doctor looks at her. She's pregnant. She has this very high blood pressure, whatever. And the doctor thinks to, uh, to himself, he thinks, well, I, 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 immediate abortion, no question. Immediately deliver the child. If I don't, I don't think she's going to die, but she'll never have children. And uh, he's thinking that. What's supposed to happen? He calls up Pam Pebogoglio or Pam Livingston, and there's no answer. Uh, there's a, it's 2 in the morning, uh, and there's a... Uh, uh, you know, one of those things, leave a message. Okay? Shall I call your parents? No. They don't know I'm pregnant. Now, what's supposed to happen? Justice Breyer, the physician uh, in those instances could perform uh, the immediate abortion. And it doesn't say that in the statute. It, it suggests the contrary. So, so what is the particular provision of New Hampshire law that tells that? I mean, the doctor... All these things are, you know, questions of probability, and he doesn't want to risk being prosecuted, and he doesn't want to risk losing his license. And so what particular provision is, uh, he happens to have his lawyer with him? (laughs) 
Well, so, you know, what does the lawyer say? Okay, what's the provision that saves him? There's no health exemption in this statute. Your Honor, uh, his lawyer would advise uh, him in those circumstances uh, that the competing harms defense would protect his actions because he needs to act urgently necessary in it. Would it protect him from a civil damages action as well as prosecution? Justice O'Connor, by the plain language of the competing harms defense, it also precludes civil liability. I would also say that that lawyer would also advise him if given the opportunity, the Attorney General is prepared also to issue an opinion uh, describing the applica- applicability of the competing harms defense in this very rare circumstance. How do we know? I mean, I, what you're saying is fine. But how, how do we know that that's actually the law? I mean, there are a lot of people who absolutely in very good faith would say that it isn't competing harm. They, they would say that the competing right of the life of the fetus is more important than the uh, uh, possibility of the, ch- of the mother having children in the future herself. See, there, there are people in good faith on both sides of this argument. And, and so how, how do we know that the New Hampshire statute is going to do, not this statute, but your competing harms defense, is going to do for this particular woman what a health exception would do? Justice Breyer, because the the harm that is being weighed here is the harm of urgently providing care to this minor who needs it, as opposed to the the harm that the Act is trying to get at, which is notification to parents. It's not whether or not the minor can have an abortion. The minor can always go in forward and have an abortion under these circumstances. So people aren't weighing the right of the fetus in this instance to the right of the mother's health. So the weighing is quite easy. And well, if given the opportunity, my office would be prepared to issue an opinion as to the actuality of this That's the real problem here for the doctor who's on the line. And you said the lawyer would say, oh, you've got this defense of, of what do you call it, harm? Competing harms. Competing harms. It's defense. I think a lawyer who cares about his client would say, Defense is not what we want. What we want is there is no claim. Not that you have to put up a defense and maybe the Attorney General will give us a letter saying that we come under that defense. Wouldn't a careful lawyer say what you need to be protected is that there is no claim for doing what you're doing? Uh, Justice Ginsburg, uh, in the Simopolis case considered by this court, uh, one of the issues that was raised was a medical, the physician was prosecuted for performing an abortion outside the parameters of the Virginia Act. And the physician failed to raise a medical necessity defense. This court held that that was a sufficient prosecution, that that was okay. And this would work the same way. Once the physician raises a competing harms defense. General, well, may I just point this? Suppose the lawyer and the doctor are aware of the legislative history and say, well, generally that's true. But when you have legislative history that suggests that the legislature considered this very defense and rejected it in the statute, would then, then that give some concern? Justice Stevens, uh, the legislature, the legislative history there certainly was some indication that the legislature did not want a general health exception. There's no indication in the legislature. 
legislative history that the legislature intended to preclude this narrow category of cases which constitute emergency but cases. But if they discussed the issue on the floor of the legislature, why wouldn't they have crafted the precise protection they thought appropriate? Your Honor, when they discussed uh, the history on the floor uh, of the, the the House and Senate, they felt that it protected for emergencies and there was no discussion of this narrow category of cases short of death. And, and, uh, and I, you, you, have, you have another point here, don't you, about, about how general the statute is. We, we don't normally interpret statutes this way, that uh, they, are, they are totally invalid if any application of them would be unconstitutional. That's, that's not what we do with statutes normally, is it? Uh, Justice Scalia, uh, no. In fact, uh, the analysis, if you look at this, this one potential application uh, this, the standard applied by the Court of Appeals in this case goes well beyond even a substantial overbreath test that is applied by this Court in the First Amendment the First context. Amendment. Am I right in reading your briefs that you don't object to a pre-enforcement challenge uh, to the uh, bypass procedure itself brought by physicians, for example? Mr. Chief Justice, no, we do not. Uh, object uh, in that sense. We think that is a very good mechanism to bring forth a case, given that this Court has granted third-party standing to physicians to resolve these types of claims. And the benefit... I, I gather that the debate on the evidence and the uh, circumstances that might arise in that case would be quite similar to the debate in the present context. In other words, there would be the same discussion between the different physicians about what emergencies arise and in what circumstances and whether that creates a problem and whether you can get to the courts and times and so on. It would be the same underlying sort of evidence that we have here, right? Uh, Mr. Chief Justice, it would, but it would be much more narrowly focused in terms of bringing it as an as-applied challenge. This was brought. How would it be as-applied? Look at your reply brief at page 3. And you made it very clear, and I think it's helpful that you did, that there could be this pre-enforcement action by doctors who would not have to wait until faced with an actual medical emergency to bring the suit. You've been talking about this small category of cases, but I take it from what you have read, what the lines I've just read, that you envision a doctor who says, sooner or later, I'm going to have such a case. Right now, I don't know, and I can't know until it's too late to come to any court. So I'm going to bring this pre-enforcement, what you characterize as as applied, but I don't see how it's as applied if the physician just says, as you put it, I don't have to wait until faced with an actual medical emergency to bring this suit. So what what is the relief, what is the lawsuit? that you envision would be proper? Justice Ginsburg, the lawsuit would be a pre-enforcement as applied challenge, and the physician would bring the claim and would say, as applied to me, I perform abortions. I also perform abortions on a minors. I need to perform an abortion in, in these emergency settings. The court can issue an order, uh, presuming it's not satisfied with the protections that are set forth in New Hampshire law that I've would described. Would you do that as a class action? Depending on the circumstance, he may be able to. What is the circumstance? All you said here is it could be a pre-enforcement challenge 
by doctors who would not have to wait until faced with an actual medical emergency. Why isn't that this case? Yes. I don't understand. Exactly. Justice Stevens, this is not this case because this case was brought as a facial challenge. Our entire act was struck down based upon that you one mean potential act. He has applied challenge when he has a patient in his office. Is that what he has to wait till he has a patient in the office? Is that what you mean? No, he doesn't. He can bring it before the patient is in his office, and then the court could issue relief that would be much more consistent with the principles of certainly separation of powers in allowing the overwhelming number of our applications of our statute that are valid to go forward. You're talking about a lawsuit which which asks for a declaration not that the entire statute is invalid, but that when faced with an emergency of the sort that uh, this discussion has has addressed, the physician can go ahead and perform the abortion. That's correct, Justice Scalia. Quite, quite a different lawsuit from this one. That's quite a different lawsuit, and a lawsuit that would be certainly from the state's perspective, would allow the overwhelming number of applications of this statute where there is no dispute that it works well no, to go in, forward. In Justice Scalia's case, would, would not the reason for that relief be, have to be a finding that the statute is unconstitutional? You can't just grant the relief because you think it's a good idea. Justice Stephen, it would be only in the context of that one particular application as applied to that physician, which would have would the stare decisis. It would be a finding that the bypass procedure is inadequate which doesn't necessarily implicate the, the general notification provisions. Mr. Chief Justice, that would be the case. And certainly if that one application in that one potential rare case was found not to be valid, then the remainder of the applications can go forward. And that is how most cases work with respect to as-applied relief. And, and I that's what, what you're, we would, what would you're ask saying you. essentially is that the First Circuit was concerned with this category, wanted to give pre-enforcement relief to the position. So what they did was write, except that they should have said, this statute is not enforceable where there is a risk to the woman's health, and it cannot be applied in any such cases. Where there is not a risk to the health, then the statute is okay. Well, Justice Ginsburg, the First Circuit went well beyond because it focused on a general health exception. They've now focused it on an emergency exception. Uh, but certainly the, the relief should have been as applied. If I may reserve the rest of my time for rebuttal. Did you ask that the uh, relief ordered below be more restrictive? Was that challenged after the judgment was entered? Justice Did the court below have a chance to consider tailoring it more narrowly, as you suggest today? Justice O'Connor, we did raise the uh, application of the severance clause below, although the court, both at the district court level and the First Circuit, appeared to look at the, ge- the lack of a general health exception as a per se constitutional problem that rendered the statute as a whole invalid. I just am not clear to what extent uh, you really raised the possibility with the court below of tailoring its judgment more narrowly, as you're suggesting today should be done. Your Honor, we certainly raised a severance issue in the district court. But However, this was You use the, the word severance now twice. Severance is, I excise a clause from the statute, but you're not asking for that. It's no. not severance. There's no provision to be severed here. It's putting a carrot mark and adding something. 
to it, not taking out any provision, but putting in an additional provision. Your Honor, you're correct. What our position is is that they did not meet the standard that they should have been able to meet for a facial challenge, which would grant as-applied relief, which would only be invalid in that one potential application. If I may reserve the rest of my time, with all due respect. Thank you, General. General Clement, we'll hear now from you. Mr. Chief Justice, and may it please the Court, respondents elected to bring a facial challenge to New Hampshire statute and succeeded in their goal in enjoining the statute in all its applications. Despite the facial nature of their challenge, however, they do not contend that the statute is invalid in all or even a large fraction of its applications. Well, that was true in Casey. No, I don't think it was with respect, Justice Souter. This Court found, as to the spousal notification critically, that there was a large fraction of the applications of the statute. Well, we may argue about what the fraction may be, and we may argue about what substantiality means. But one thing I don't think we can argue about is that Casey was applying the Salerno standard. Well, two things, Justice Souter. I think, first of all, you know, this case has come up postured as being about a choice between Salerno and the large fraction test. And I think in some points, based on the way respondents have approached the case, that's become largely beside the point. At footnote 13 of their brief, they could not be more clear that they are not here contending that the statute is invalid in a large fraction of their applications. They instead are embracing a per se rule that if a statute does not have a health exception or an emergency exception clear on its face, it is void in its entirety. Once again, that may be. But after Casey, I don't think one can plausibly argue that the Salerno standard is the correct standard. Whatever their position may be, whatever fractions or substantiality may mean. Well, I understand that's your position, Justice Souter, given that you joined Justice O'Connor's separate writing in the Fargo case. I think, however, that I read the opinion in Casey and I see the large fraction analysis only in the spousal notification context. But why would we have a separate rule on facial challenges merely for spousal notification? Well, I can think of two reasons, Justice Souter. First of all, because this Court applied the no set of circumstances test in Akron 2 to a parental notification statute, this Court in Casey may not have wanted to overrule Akron 2 to that extent. Second of all, I think this Court in that very passage about the large fraction test specifically distinguished spousal notification provisions from parental notification provisions. Suppose I were to conclude that under Casey, this fraction test applies to this case. Suppose I were to say that Salerno should not be applicable in this case. How should I rule in this case? You should clearly rule in the State's favor. And Respondents have really given you no choice, because they aren't even arguing that a large fraction of the applications of this statute are invalid. What you have before you is really a case where it's literally a one in a thousand possibility that there's going to be an emergency where the statute won't operate. And the real question for you is, faced with that kind of case, do you invalidate 1,000 applications of the statute, noting that 999 of them are constitutional? Could the plaintiffs have filed a narrower action attacking the adequacy of the bypass procedure? 
Absolutely. And they also could have — what I think I would envision them filing is an even narrower provision that seeks a pre-enforcement declaration, kind of like Steffel against Thompson would be the model, that says that this statute can't apply in an emergency situation. Uh, uh, now, that's exactly — I'm leaving aside your fraction tests, your 100 percent tests, because I don't think they capture all the considerations that are relevant. Focus on what you just said. What you've done is you've tried to create an injunction that will separate out the sheep from the goats. All right? The goats are only 1 percent and the sheep. But what does it say? Now, I don't think you can say enjoin the bypass procedure, because if you enjoin the bypass procedure, there goes down the drain your whole parental notification, because you can't have parental notification without a bypass procedure. I don't think you can say enjoin emergencies, because to do that, you're going to have to get into the greatest difficult issue there is in this area, which is what does that health exception mean? And we've said throughout that that health exception has to be defined first by a legislature. So if you tell me how to write that injunction, then I'll be able to decide whether it's possible for a court just to say, Okay, we only enjoin the goats, as opposed to saying, legislature, this is basically up to you, the whole area. And, Justice Breyer, I would say the Court has some discretion in how it formulates that order. It would basically say that this statute is not constitutional as applied to those emergency situations. Well, and if I could just say it's no different than Steffel against Thompson. There's a case where there's a challenge against a broad criminal trespass statute. The theory in Steffel was not that the whole criminal trespass statute was unconstitutional. It was it's unconstitutional if you apply it to leafleting. And Justice Brennan, for a unanimous court, said, yes, that's exactly the kind of challenge you can bring. And you can get declaratory judgment that says you can't do that, you can't apply the statute as to leafleting. But you don't strike down the entirety of the criminal trespasses. The word leafleting is not as fuzzy around the edges as health exception, given the fact that lots of people think health exception is a way of getting abortion on demand. Do you agree with, uh, with uh, Justice Breyer that the legislature can draw this with more precision than a court could? No, I don't, Justice I mean, that seems to be a solution, that, uh, that the legislature can make it precise, although a court could not. I think the court could issue any order a legislature could issue, and I think the fact that the court would have some discretion is an answer to the argument that, oh, well, if you leave this to the courts, you're cutting the legislature out of this. But why I think why wouldn't it be, excuse me, why wouldn't it be an abuse of discretion in this case? Because there seems to be an ample record here that the legislature, uh, or a majority of the legislature, made a conscious choice uh, that they would rather have no statute than a statute with a health exception in it. They deliberately said, the only statute we want is one without a health exception. Therefore, even if you touch all the bases that, that, that Justice Breyer has laid out, don't you end up with a position that if we were to craft such a limitation, we would be flying quite precisely in the face of the expressed legislative intent? I don't think that's right, Justice Souter, and I think it's because you have to be careful. I think it's easy to use loose language about a health exception. And I think if you look at the First Circuit opinion, they seem to suggest there needs to be a health exception. And I think in the context of a parental notification statute, a health exception, as opposed to a narrow exception Whatever for Whatever you call it, call, call it a health exception, call it an XYZ exception. They knew what they were
were getting at. They knew what they were worried about, and they said, we will have a statute without it, or we will have no statute. Which for second, I thought they had a severability were, provision. Isn't, didn't they well, have a severability provision? They did, and it's so, so they said just the opposite. Well, it's just the opposite, that if the health exception is no good, the rest of the statute would, would survive. Isn't that that's I it? think that's right, Justice I, would, I, would, I, would, I don't know how you would sever a health exception that is not there. They're saying, you, if something is in here, you can sever it and we'll be satisfied with what's left. In effect, if we were to enjoin certain applications, we would be injecting an exception that they rejected. And whatever that may be, it does not seem to be severance. Two answers, Justice Souter. First of all, I think that if you look at what the New Hampshire legislatures were concerned about, they were concerned about a broad health exception that would undermine the statute, not an emergency exception. As to the severability point, I think in some respects severability is the wrong way of looking at it. In the context of as-applied challenges, this Court has not rigorously said that you look at the applications and see whether they're severable. The idea is that a statute is not constitutional in certain applications. But the New Hampshire legislature, I think, was even had the belt and suspenders to worry about that if you had a different view of that, a view that actually Justice Thomas embraced in his Booker opinion, that actually you do look at severance when you do applications, the New Hampshire legislature couldn't have been clearer because they said not only do you sever the provisions, but sever the applications. We want to save as much of this statute the as we can. The end of the statute doesn't say that. The end, the end of that provision says sever a provision. You're right, Justice Ginsburg, but I don't think you look only at the end of the statute. It clearly says, if any provision of this subdivision or the application thereof to any person or circumstance is held invalid, such invalidity shall not affect the provision or applications of this subdivision, which can be given effect without the invalid, invalid, invalid invalid, sorry, provisions or applications. It seems like they had this case in mind, that there were circumstances in which perhaps some court would say it was unconstitutional to apply it, and that's not a basis. There is usually um, great caution on the part of a court from tampering with the statute. Uh, So excision is one thing. You just drop a provision. That's not possible here. The court has been extremely reluctant about carrot marks, which is what is not. There's no problem with what the legislature did. It just didn't do enough. So the court would have to add a provision, not subtract. Nothing, there's nothing to subtract. There's we, an addition, and courts have been reluctant to do that. They feel much more comfortable cutting something out than putting something in. With respect, Justice Ginsburg, I don't think that accurately describes the way the courts have approached as-applied cases. They often hold statutes unconstitutional as-applied. Think of Wisconsin against Yoder. This court said that a general compulsory education statute didn't apply to the Amish. It's just unconstitutional as applied. They didn't think, boy, you know, the Wisconsin legislature nobody didn't asked them express to, Nobody asked exception. them to do anything other than that. Well, I, I think that's true, Justice Ginsburg, but it just shows that's the way that this Court approaches as applied cases. It's not a matter of reading something in. It's saying the statute doesn't apply. Thank, Thank you. Thank you, General. Ms. Dolvin, we'll hear now from you. <coughs> Mr. Chief Justice, and may it please the Court. 
The unfortunate reality is that some pregnant teens experience medical emergencies for which the appropriate care is an immediate abortion. As the nation's leading medical authorities have explained, delaying appropriate care for even a very short period can be catastrophic and puts the teen at risk of liver damage, kidney damage, stroke, and infertility. Suppose I am concerned that the record doesn't explain to me one way or the other whether or not your medical profession's definition of immediate uh, allows time to make one telephone call to a judge. Your Honor, uh, several responses. First, the undisputed evidence here is that for uh, women in some emergencies, every minute is critical. Every minute puts them at risk of losing their future fertility and of major organ damage. Um, that is uh, confirmed by the nation's leading medical authorities, which say that there is uh, that even very short. Well, there can there can be nurses or attendants that can get the judge on the line. Yes, Your Honor. Um, two responses. First, uh, the, New Ham- the procedures that we submitted in our supplemental brief that were approved by the New Hampshire Supreme Court make quite clear that there is no procedure for getting, uh, the, phone- getting the judge on the phone. Um, and in addition, any delay — Well, I've, I've looked at those procedures, and it seems to me that those are interpreted as what should happen in the ordinary case. They certainly don't preclude making a phone call, and there can be phone calls for warrants in criminal cases in New Hampshire. That's specifically provided. Yes, Your Honor, um, but I believe that, as uh, uh, Justice Breyer pointed out, if this ha- uh, emergency happens on a Saturday, there is no provision whatsoever for the minor. Um, in addition, the problem was, with it, it seems to me that the bypass procedure can go a long way towards saving this statute, but that uh, this was this was not litigated in, in 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 the trial courts. We don't know what New Hampshire's position is going to be. We don't know what the facts are. Your Honor, I think what is, what is quite clear from all the briefs is that once a minor arrives in the emergency room, um, it is too late for her to go to court. Uh, there, is, there is, as we said, every minute is critical, and any delay from the time that the, mind, the doctor faces a, a pregnant teen determines that she must have an immediate abortion. Um, any delay from that point forward puts the minor's health at risk. Well, Surely, surely not the delay for a quick phone call. Let's assume New Hampshire sets up a special office open 24 hours a day, and this is the abortion judge, and, and uh, he can be reached anytime, anywhere. It takes 30 seconds to place a phone call. Yes, Your Honor. Uh, th- this is really an emergency situation? I mean, I guess if that's the case, the doctor better not put on his gloves. No, Your Honor. I think then the question would be what would, what would be the purpose in such a, of such a statute? If all you had to do was literally call a number and the judge would say, okay, if the, ju- if the judge had no time, the, the nurse had no time to relay the facts, the judge had no time to uh, ask any questions, the judge had no time to consider the evidence or uh, uh, look at the law, there's a real question about what potential purpose there could be of requiring even that small delay uh, before a minor gets the immediate treatment she needs. The purpose, the purpose is to save a statute which has um, thousands of applications that are valid. 
Your Honor, I don't think that putting a teen's health at risk, respectfully, um, is, is — I think — I don't think saving a statute is worth putting a teen's health at risk. Um, well, counsel, if your objection goes to the adequacy of the bypass procedure, what is wrong with a pre-enforcement challenge by physicians, presumably withstanding, challenging the bypass procedure? Why should you be able to challenge the act as a whole if your objection is so narrowly focused? Two, two points, uh, uh, Chief Justice Roberts. Um, t- first is that our, our objection isn't to the bypass process. Um, we believe that there would be, regardless of how good the procedures the New Hampshire Supreme Court set up, it would, there would still be inherent delay between the time a doctor diagnoses a, diagnoses a patient and the time um, they uh, get to court and get the order. So it's not, it's not a problem with the judicial bypass. Um, the second, the second uh, question. But it's a problem that arises only in the emergency situations. That, that's so bring in a pre-enforcement challenge uh, uh, concerning compliance with the Act in emergency situations. Why does that even implicate the uh, vast majority of the cases that don't create emergency situations? As Justice Ginsburg pointed out, we believe that is this case. This is um, this. There's nothing between the case that different between this case. This case and the doesn't way. involve an emergency situation. This is a facial challenge. There's no case at issue at all. Your Honor, as, uh, the state uh, uh, conceded a, cha- a pre-enforcement challenge brought by a doctor before any particular patient was at risk um, would be proper. And that. But, it, but what resulted here? It was the invest- validation of the entire statute and all of its applications? Is that how it now stands? That, I believe, is how. Okay. So, so the question you're being asked is how can that be narrowed in some fashion to focus on the problem? The statute may well have uh, a majority of valid applications. So how can we narrow the application? And what of our doctrines uh, allow a narrower application. So you need to focus on that. Obviously, sure. it's a matter of concern. Sure. I think this Court uh, in Casey addressed that consideration. In Casey was essentially this case, a pre-enforcement challenge brought to the adequacy of the medical emergency exception. And this Court held that if the law prohibited an immediate abortion uh, for some of the very same conditions we outline here, it would have been unconstitutional. It's because the Court explained that the what it, the inadequacies that I Identified were present in a large fraction of cases. We don't know if that's true here. Not I, respectfully, Your Honor, not with respect to the medical emergency exception. I think that was true with respect to the spousal notice provision, but not at all with respect to the medical emergency exception. In this case, it was the, we are talking about the same conditions that were uh, in Casey and here um, as well. And actually here there are additional considerations because the medical in Casey there was a medical emergency definition uh, that extended to some health-threatening circumstances and here there is none. So we, why wouldn't it be uh, entirely adequate to protect what you're concerned about to say this New Hampshire statute is unconstitutional to the extent that it fails to provide an exception for situations where there's an imminent danger to health, and then all those imminent danger to health situations would be left unregulated the statute doesn't reach them, but non-emergency cases would continue to be governed by the statute. Why couldn't 
in other words, wh- why wasn't that the appropriate judgment for the First Circuit to have entered in this case, to say statute's fine for non-emergency cases, but for emergency cases, there is effectively no law? Your Honor, that would solve the constitutional problem in these, this case, but I believe it is not the best course for three reasons. First, as uh, this Court has already discussed, uh, the, the <coughs> states around the country have adopted at least ten different medical emergency definitions, and this Court has no way to know which, if any, of those formulas. But you wouldn't have — it would be that the emergency is not regulated. The, the private — Doctors can act in a medical emergency. They are not controlled by any legislation. Yes, Your Honor, uh, but many of the states, a few states have chosen to have exceptions that just say medical emergency. Um, Most of them define We're dealing with New Hampshire. We have a specific case that challenged New Hampshire's law. So can you focus on this one? Yes, Your Honor. I think we, we still don't know which definition New Hampshire would Well, choose. suppose it were from your point of view. I don't know from the other side's point of view. I guess it would satisfy you to say that this statute cannot be enforced in any circumstance in which a physician certifies in good faith that he believes an immediate abortion is necessary for the health of the mother. That's All you're looking to is the state of mind of the physician. Now, the problem that I think we'd see with that is you'd then be writing into the law the broadest possible definition of what that health exception means. So I'm not sure the New Hampshire legislator would have wanted to do it, and I'm not sure the other side would like to do it. But looking at it from your point of view, do you have any objection to it? No, that's correct, Your Honor. Um, that would solve the constitutional problem here, but Your Honor is right. I think there is a significant concern about whether that's what New Hampshire would Well, but that would be litigated in a pre-enforcement as-applied challenge. I mean, you don't assume the fact that this uh, narrower focus proceeding is going to be, could be brought, doesn't mean, that doesn't answer the question of how it's going to come out. But the, the, presumably the litigation would be very similar to what we've seen in this case, which doctors saying, well, you do need an immediate medical exception. Others saying the judicial bypass adequately addresses the concerns. But it would be focused on the provision that is causing you concern rather than the statute as a whole. Your Honor, I believe that that really is this case. There's nothing in the complaint that says this is a facial challenge and we only want a declaration that the statute is unconstitutional and enjoin it in its entirety. And if we can't have that, we want nothing else. We in that's that, what happened, and you're here defending that judgment. Yes, Your Honor, and we believe it was the proper course. Um, but, it, but there's nothing in the complaint that says that we only want a total invalidation. And well, that then is there any objection by you to remanding this thing to let it be more narrowly focused? I believe it is not the better course uh, for three reasons. One is the, is the uh, we can't tell what exception the New Hampshire legislator would have chosen. In addition, I think there is real cause for concern about rewriting this law for New Hampshire. If this Court says that that's the proper course, I believe that the federal judiciary will be faced with rewriting abortion law after abortion law after your, abortion your law. Your complaint asked for a preliminary and permanent injunction against the Act. 
Yes, that's right, Your Honor. We all have two points, though. We asked for any other relief that is just and proper, and we had other claims that could not be solved by a more narrow, by n- more narrow relief. We claim that the uh, uh, Act's uh, judicial bypass doesn't, isn't sufficient under this Court's case in, uh, this Court's decision in Bilotti II. Uh, it doesn't uh, provide for confidentiality, and then there's no way to remedy that uh, without a without facial invalidation. Right. I, I don't want you to agree to this unless you've focused on it and think it really is <coughs> your position. I take it, as I'm listening, that you would not object to an injunction that says that this statute cannot be applied in any circumstance where a doctor, in good faith, himself or herself, believes that there is a health emergency. Period. Now, I take it as soon as we get more narrow than that, you might object on the ground that that will leave ambiguous cases where there really is a health emergency, but the doctor doesn't know what to do and would have to go to court, by which time it will be too late. That's right. Have I stated it correctly? You focused on it, thought about it, stated it. I I appreciate that, and yes, Your Honor, I have. Okay. Thank you. about in good faith and with uh, uh, with substantial support in in sound medicine, Your Honor. I mean, why should the doctor who uh, who is very negligent and uh, it, it doesn't uh, doesn't know what he's doing? Why should he be protected? Your Honor, I believe your question focuses on exactly why this Court should facially invalidate. It requires this Court to decide additional constitutional One more condition. Good faith is not enough. You you can have a good faith Your Honor, we believe that would be unconstitutional, and because it it would subject a doctor to going to jail for providing care that he honestly believed was necessary to save a patient's organs, to save a patient's future fertility, to save a patient's vision. We believe, particularly in an area as controversial as abortion, that that is inappropriate. But again, I'm, I'm that's sure that I'm sure that's the case with regard to other medical procedures. If you're grossly negligent, it's 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 a criminal offense. I'm sure in most states. I believe it's generally a medical malpractice um, and not and not uh, criminal liability. But but in any event, it, this is a question for this is a question for the court. Um, and in National Treasury Employees Union, this court said that where where writing more narrow relief requires the court to answer additional constitutional questions not directly pre- presented by the case, the appropriate course is to facially invalidate and let the legislature decide how to write the exception. Um, we believe that's the appropriate course here as well. Um, in addition, going back to uh, the uh, legislative abdication point, we believe that facially invalidating here, I mean, uh, rewriting the law here would uh, eliminate any incentive for legislatures to pass constitutional laws in the first instance. This was a clear requirement. This Court has said for 30 years you cannot endanger women's health. You must have an exception for health-threatening emergencies. New Hampshire did not include such an exception. And, th- and if this Court rewrites it, it will, in, s- in essence, give a green light to legislatures around the country to pass broad restrictions and leave it to women and their doctors to go to cho- court and be the sole defenders of the right uh, If the model of this case is doctors come to court, doesn't have to ha- have an actual patient, class action, and the court says the statute cannot be applied to a medical necessity, period. No fancy drills of adding another things that courts generally don't do. 
if that if there would then there would be no regulation of medical emergencies. Why isn't that what the, doesn't that fit the pattern of the case you brought? And couldn't the First Circuit have done that? And then you would have no complaint about the rest of the statute. The, the First Circuit could have done that. We did have additional claims, the confidentiality. Yes, I know that. But, but the First Circuit could have done that. We, we believe the First Circuit was correct in not doing that um, for the two reasons I've discussed and an additional reason as well. Um, as uh, Justice Souter pointed out, we don't know at all that the legislature would have passed this law with a broader exception. Indeed, 153 New Hampshire legislators have told this Court that there is significant doubt about whether they would. And I know that might be surprising to some people, but I I'd like to explain why in the world of abortion politics it's not at all surprising. Some folks uh, with good faith believe that any exception beyond uh, one for uh, life-saving, uh, um, life-saving emergencies renders a, a ban, uh, a abortion restriction meaningless, and they refuse on principle to vote for any broader exception. Um, uh, any ban, any restriction that has a broader exception. Given and they shouldn't have voted for the severability provision, which clearly says if, if in one of its applications it's invalid, the rest can be given effect without the invalid provisions. I mean, the, the severability provision really just, uh, just flatly contradicts your, your assertion that the New Hampshire legislature wouldn't want this to happen. Your Honor, a few things. First, we, we don't believe that the severability clause um, directs the Court to sever applications. Second, neither this Court nor uh, New Hampshire courts treat severability clauses as mandates. Uh, the question is still whether, if there is significant doubt about whether the legislature would have wanted it, um, they uh, do not sever. And as particularly whereas here, this Court would have to make decisions for the legislature about what that, what that exception should look like. May I ask? this uh, historical information. Since the decision of the District Court and the decision of the Court of Appeals, has the legislature considered enacting a different statute that would solve the problem? They have not, Your Honor. There has been no bill put forward, uh, to my knowledge. Uh, uh, Senior, it would have been all that hard to do. I don't know. That's right, Your Honor. They could have enacted a law with a medical emergency exception, and we we could have all gone home. Well, maybe they maybe they assume that the medical health exception of the sort you're arguing for is not constitutionally required, and that's what would be litigated in a narrow, focused challenge on the adequacy or inadequacy of the bypass procedure. Maybe they assumed we would follow the Salerno precedent, and they didn't have to worry about severing in light of uncon- particular unconstitutional applications. Perhaps that is true, Your Honor, um, but I, I is, uh, still believe that this, that is this case, that there really is no different. I mean, in, in Casey, Casey, uh, the plaintiffs brought a facial challenge before the law took effect to the adequate, challenging the adequacy of the medical emergency exception. And this court indicated that if the law prohibited an immediate abortion for women with uh, the conditions Dr. Goldner described in his declaration here, it would have been unconstitutional and some relief would have been appropriate, even though that was a facial challenge and even though the alleged inadequacies of the medical emergency would harm relatively few women. Um, so I don't think that there is any bar to this court uh, if they — Do you think the statute, putting aside the medical emergency issue, 
under our precedence is the parental notification aspect of the statute constitutional? No, Your Honor. We had additional claims. Other than the, the confidentiality. We believe there, we had three claims, the health, uh, the health exception, the medical emergency exception for health-threatening emergencies, the death exception we believe is also inadequate, and the confidentiality. In addition, uh, the court, the procedures that the court uh, uh, issued, the New Hampshire Supreme Court approved, raise an additional problem as well. Uh, so there are claims um, in addition to the health-threatening emergency. If there are no further questions um, from the court, uh, thank you. Thank you, counsel. The case is submitted.